Slava Isusu Christu. Welcome back to another episode of Between the Pews. I'm your host today, Ben Windsor. Today we're going to be having a conversation with Bishop David with the Ukrainian Catholic Church and Father Andreas from St. George's Greek Orthodox Church here in Edmonton. We'll be discussing how much our churches share in common and how we all can work together as Christians. So what kind of is the story of like the Greek Orthodox Church? Kind of like how did it start and kind of the background of around that? So our common, common shared um, history, our common heritage is that we trace our roots back to Pentecost, back to 33 AD. And obviously the founder of the church, our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, our mother church is Constantinople, and we, uh, through tradition, trace that back to uh, the Apostle Andrew, Andreas, my patron saint. He is considered to be the, uh, the apostle to those lands, and also the apostle to Ukraine. So we share, we share more than, uh, than we think about. So the Apostle Andrea, he went all throughout the, uh, what is, uh, was at that point in time, Kiev in Rus. He obviously went up to Constantinople and um, he met his fate somewhere in between. So the church was established and was fruitful from the time of the Apostle Andreas. And his uh, successor, Stachis, took over after that. And there is an unbroken line of apostolic succession from Apostle Andreas all the way to Patriarch uh, Bartholomew today. And this is where the majority of Greek bishops uh, would take their uh, apostolic succession from. However, uh, with the fall of Constantinople and the Ottoman occupation, things changed a little bit and the map changed considerably. So in 1821, almost 200 years ago, um, there was a revolution of the Greeks against the Ottoman Turks to overthrow uh, their ruler, their uh, rulers in certain areas, and to have our own government and to have our own land that was free of uh, Turkish occupation and influence. Unfortunately, this was not a movement to take back Constantinople. Because of this, there was a heavy influence of uh, Greek nationalism, and there was an established state of Greece. Um, I can't give you exact dates, but somewhere by the 1850s, everything was solidified. And with that came a Church of Greece that was given autocephaly from the Ecumenical Patriarchate. Um, this was not without bloodshed. Unfortunately, uh, Patriarch Gregory V was dragged out of St. George's Church, which is the current patriarchal church, in his paschal vestments and hung in the gate. And there were terrible pogroms and uh, terrible acts of violence against the Rum Millet, the Roman people, uh, were now called the Greek people. Um, this was greatly unfortunate. However, it did lead to the autocephaly of the, uh, of the Church of Greece and 
to the uh, borders of the patriarchal land becoming significantly smaller. We fast forward into the mid uh, 1850s when uh, Greek migration started to happen uh, along the coast of Florida and some other areas like that. And uh, churches were established in North America. Uh, up in Quebec City, we had, um, I think, 39 Greeks altogether um, during the 1850s. So it was a very small population. Um, they were not able to found a church. Um, so Meletios uh, Metaxakis, who was known for the, uh, the change of the, uh, the calendar back in the 1920s, had served in uh, North America for some time. And he ended up granting um, permission for churches to be, uh, to be opened in North America, but these were under the Church of Greece. Um, that didn't last too long because Metaxakis became ecumenical patriarch and he said, oh, I'm going to take these kids with me. So he took us with him and we remained in the bosom of the true mother church up until this day. Um, in the 19... Sometime in the earlier 1900s, there was a division of the uh, churches in Canada. There were more bishops that were consecrated, I do believe nine or 10 in number. And uh, Canada ended up getting its own bishop. Fast forward into the 1970s. Um, at that point in time, Bishop Soterios of uh, Constantia was ordained by uh, of ever blessed memory, uh, Archbishop Jacobos. And he took us from having just a little handful of churches into becoming a great metropolis. And we were finally awarded that name in uh, 1996. Fast forward to 2019 and we're given the title of archdiocese. Um, so we're with equal footing, on equal footing with the um, archdiocese of the US. So the church has just grown exponentially within the past uh, 50 years. So before this call, we actually um, we had a bit of an interesting conversation. You mentioned something that's kind of switched with Ukrainian Catholics and Greek Orthodox. You talked about a archdiocese versus metropolis. And... Yes. So essentially, um, in the Slavic churches, a, met a metropolis is considered to be the highest uh, the highest rank of a uh, of a church. Mm -hmm. um, so a metropolitan would be above an archbishop, whereas for us that's inverted, and an archbishop is above a, a metropolitan. So, for example, you have in the U.S. Um, Archbishop Elpidophoros, and you have several metropolises. You have the metropolis of San Francisco. You have the metropolis of Denver. Uh, the okay. metropolis of Boston. And the, um, this would be used the same like the same light as the uh, the eparchies here in Canada. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's interesting. Um, you also with Constantinople, that is in modern day Turkey, and what's it called today again? Istanbul, which Istanbul. comes from the yes, it comes from the Greek word Istanbul in the city. Mm -hmm. And it, I remember, like Greece used to have Constantinople, right? Greece used to control. I would say that Constantinople had Greece. Oh, that okay. was the eternal capital for us. Oh, okay. um, to this day, we still uh, refer to uh, Constantinople as Nea Rome, as New Rome. 
Mm. Um, so for us, that's the true eternal capital. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. So Athens was just given a little, uh, a little <laughs> tiny crown, but we still, uh, we still have the bishop's mitre. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yeah. So um, that's a bit of a different history of the Greek Orthodox. What about Ukrainian Catholics? So what's kind of just a little bit of the backstory of Ukrainian Catholic Church from Bishop? Yeah. So so Father Andres uh, had a beautiful overview is this of uh, kind of the origins of of uh, of our common roots. And um, the Ukrainian Catholic Church throughout the world would, would consider uh, Constantinople as, uh, as the mother church, that of, uh, of, uh, of you know, in current day uh, Turkey or, or Istanbul. And so we, we share uh, so much in common when it comes to uh, uh, the, the same scriptures, the same uh, holy mysteries or, or sacraments, uh, liturgical uh, worship, um, how we how we express ourselves um, there, much of that is very common indeed perhaps today is this is that that uh, we could attend a divine liturgy at uh, St. George's uh, Orthodox Church here in Edmonton and um, and then the next day is this attend, attend a liturgy at, at uh, St. Josephat's Cathedral and um, Father Andreas and I would know know which church that we were in and, and praying with but um, uh, a neophyte or someone new to the faith may not know the difference. May, we, we would tell them, well, listen to which bishops or pope might be commemorated in the divine liturgy. We're so similar. Now, as his Father Andreas had mentioned, this is the, the Holy Apostle Andrew. So, so that's, that's our claim to fame in, in Eastern Christianity is one of the holy disciples tradition holds came to the to the hills of, of Kiev and, and, and uh, prophesied is this that, that a great church, the, the Kievan church, is this would, uh, would be founded. And, and the, the, the beautiful uh, St. Cyril Methodius who kind of um, uh, make it a fit, fit, fit um, Eastern Christianity, Eastern Christianity, it's, it's spirituality, it's, it's liturgical uh, expression into a way that the, the Slavs, uh, could could understand and could can, can, could interpret then too. So so we have so much of a shared uh, shared um, um, uh, heritage, and I remember you know this is kind of one of the stories that I wanted to share is this um, a few years back, I had the pleasure to be at a conference with Metropolitan Satirius from from the Greek Orthodox Church here in in Canada. It was three uh, churches represented: the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, the Ukrainian Catholic Church, and then and the Greek Orthodox Church, and, and we were were praying together. And for whatever reason, Metropolitan Sirius and I were sitting next to each other. And he says, "Well, tomorrow you should lead the service according to your tradition." And it says, "You know, do you call him Your Eminence?" Uh, yeah, Your Eminence. I says, "I feel more comfortable praying with you than I do with the Roman Catholics because because we we have a shared." shared uh, heritage spiritual heritage there so he had a he had a good laugh and i think we became buddies after after that then but uh, uh and so much of that shared tradition is is what we celebrate uh here in canada in the in the christian east as we express it both from uh, from a catholic and from an orthodox uh, point of view yeah that's actually an interesting point too because i've actually been to saint george's um greek orthodox church before and uh, something I definitely noticed is it, 
honestly, minus the Greek that I heard, it was extremely similar to Ukrainian Catholic churches. Um, and however, it's kind of interesting when I went to a Roman Catholic church, I, I was lost. Like, <laughs> I, did, I didn't quite understand, you know, everything that was going on. But with the Greek Orthodox, I actually very well understood like the divine liturgy and everything. So with that, is the divine liturgy kind of structured in the same way? Is, is there any big stark differences between the two? Is that one for me to take? Sorry. Having served on uh, both Tibika uh, or both Ordos, um, I can say there is a um, there is a difference. Mm -hmm. Now, in Byzantine liturgy, there were two Ordos that were used. Mm -hmm. There was the cathedral rite, and then there was the uh, monastic rite. So the cathedral rite. It was very grand, very, uh, I don't want to use the word boisterous, but you certainly knew we were there. And in Constantinople, the divine liturgy would begin outside of the doors of one church and would be stational. So there are certain hymns that are sung um, during the divine liturgy that are a um, remnant of that, of this uh, stational liturgy. So one that we have is uh, through the intercessions of the Theodokos, Savior, save us. And uh, the second one, um, you know, from uh, your small entrance, uh, save us, O son of God, uh, who rose from the dead to you, we sing hallelujah. Now, these were sung together with uh, the typical psalms that you are familiar with. So in the Greek rite, we cut the psalms down so much that they're not really recognizable uh, to us. We still say that, uh, bless the Lord, my soul, all this within me shall bless his holy name. And then we'll sing through the intercessions of the Theotokos, Savior, save us. So that's part of the cathedral, right? Was this big boisterous, right? And the monastic services, believe it or not, were entirely set for a very, very long time. I have to give a little bit of a shout out to the uh, Brazilian fathers. I know they received a little bit of criticism for this. Um, they have a set divine liturgy on uh, Saturday evenings. And I know that this uh, disgruntled some folks, but the truth of the matter is this is the true uh, monastic office. Um, it was only, I would dare say, after the fall of Constantinople um, that... Um, monastic services became so grand and had all of this uh, long drawn out chanting. So the, um, the cathedral, just to go back, the cathedral rite uh, was preserved more in the uh, Constantinopolitan Byzantine tradition. Um, the Slavs, I'm going to say probably due to uh, their forefathers, uh, Cyril and Methodius, inherited only the monastic Tipikon, which is uh, also known as the Tipikon of Jerusalem. So that's why you have full psalms, uh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and then uh, praise the Lord, O my soul. That's why, depending how much of the tipikon you're using, at your small entrance, the priest might have to wait up to a half an hour to come up with that gospel book, depending on how many stikarabers said at Vespers. Um, Whereas in the Greek rite, okay, we know this is how much of the psalm is going to be chanted, how much of the antiphon is going to be chanted. 
and we're going to go out when it's uh, when we chant the uh, the resurrectional hymn of the day or the hymn of the feast day. So we don't really have those antiphons. Um, another thing that uh, might be a little bit striking is that all that follows after the gospel reading in most of the uh, Greek parishes is the cherubic hymn. Everything else, the litany of the uh, faithful and the litanies of the catechumens are said in silence in the uh, altar area during the, uh, during the antiphons. So this is particular um, from what I've noticed to the, uh, the parishes, to the churches that use the Greek rite. And of course, our uh, Melkite uh, brothers and sisters are probably liturgically closer to us, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll notice this as well. I have to give another shout out to Holy Resurrection Monastery. Uh, I don't mean to jump up our keys, but, uh, and I, also to a fellow Greek, uh, Father Zacharias. He has a very uh, Greek usage in his uh, in his monastery as well. Um, so this isn't particular just to the Greek Orthodox, but it's uh, it's a very cultural uh, peculiarity uh, that is uh, that is used among mm-hmm. folks outside of the Slavic lands. Yeah, so I hope that this would be accurate. I, I'd still say is this is that the the, the structure. Is this of, uh, of both of our divine liturgies would be recognizable and, and quite similar and, and, the, and the, the different uh, uh, movements um, and uh, the way in which we celebrate is this would, would be quite similar. And, and even I appreciate even within the Ukrainian Catholic Church, um, say in, in Canada, United States and, and Ukraine and then elsewhere is there, there can be some nuances like those um, Processional hymns from the from the stationary movements is this to the to like to say Hagia Sophia or, or Holy Seat of Wisdom that um, we up until you know when I was a young boy we we still had what we call the the three antiphons and um, uh, uh, this then in this probably in the sixties we started to lose the second antiphon the the Marian antiphon if I can if I can put it that way then too. But but Ukraine is kind of reversed and have, have gone back to that. So they 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 uh, they tend to do things as this uh, um, a little bit more fuller, shall we say? But uh, but I wouldn't want to give people the impression as this that a service at St George's uh, Greek Orthodox Church would be shorter than than the Ukrainian church. And so you should choose shortness over over length should not be. Both liturgies are an expression of of the beauty of liturgy, which is known in, in the Christian East. So I had to throw that in. A hundred percent, Ladika. And um, as you said, the structure of the divine liturgy is very simple. Uh, it's very similar, I should say. Um, it's far from simple, as, as anybody that's held a tipicon will, uh, will tell you. Um, but the structure, it's two expressions of the uh, same liturgical uh, tradition and um, both are fully recognizable, especially, uh, especially to the laity. I actually share a few parishioners with, uh, with Holy Cross through uh, some wonderful mixed marriages. Um, and they tell me, okay, what Father Yanko is doing is the same thing that Father Andreas is doing. Um, so that's a huge blessing to, to hear that we have uh, that similarity. And um, likewise, especially our journey through Holy Week is almost exactly the same. Our, um, 
our sharing that uh, liturgical tradition is um, our common heritage. So there's more similarity than there is um, dissimilarity uh, in our uh, two churches. Yeah, something um, too is just want to make sure. So when it comes to things like feast days, do we both share the same feast days or for the most part? Or how does that work? Maybe Bishop, you got this one? <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, uh, not, not that I can speak authoritatively that I've compared um, both of our uh, liturgical year mm -hmm. to see is this if we have the same feast days but uh, but um I, I would imagine that the major feast days is this would would be quite similar because we share that that same liturgical and and uh, um spiritual patrimony or or heritage but uh, you, you can appreciate is this that a that a given church uh may have um, um added or 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 emphasizes in a different way for example and father andres you can correct me is this on October 1st, on the Gregorian calendar, so the, so the Slavs, or the, the Ukrainians in particular, I'll speak uh, for them, uh, the Feast of the Protection of the Mother of God, which is not common to all, uh, shall we say, Byzantine or Constantinopolitan churches that belong to that same liturgical family than to, so, but, and there's a whole history behind that. So for the most part, quite similar. But um, uh, this, uh, we we might we might emphasize something different, or we may have added uh, uh, a particular feast day that has some uh, uh, spiritual significance uh, to our practice. Father Andres, would, it, would that be? You think that would be more or less? I have to jump in on one thing, and the uh, feast day of uh, Pokrov, as it's uh, called in your tradition, yep. the uh, Holy Protection, Ayaskepi. It's uh, very near and dear to the Constantinopolitan Church uh, because of the uh, the background of it, with um, Our Lady of La Carne and um, mm -hmm. Saint Andrew, Fool for Christ. Um, so that feast day, both in the Patriarchate and on uh, Mount Athos, is celebrated on the first uh, of October, and quite a few of our parishes uh, here in Canada as well celebrated on the first uh, of October. However, there was a transfer of that feast uh, back during uh, World War II. This was um, solely uh, from the uh, Church of Greece and the territories of the Ecumenical Patriarchate within Greece. And this was moved to uh, October 28th. And this was joined, um, this was given a joint meeting because this was the day that Prime, Min Prime Minister uh, Metaxas had said to Mussolini, just one simple word, Ohe, no, when Mussolini had proposed the building of uh, military bases in Greece uh, to assist the uh, Axis forces. So we believe fully that um, the uh, Theotokos, the mother of God, had her hand in, uh, in stopping this. So on the 28th of October, we chant a special doxology, um, and there's a full, uh, beautiful little service that's very similar to the uh, to the services that the national churches would have for their um, for their uh, ethnic celebrations. Now, there are some uh, other influences on our calendar. Um, 
coming from uh, coming from Greece. On the 25th of March, this was the date that um, was chosen by the uh, revolutionaries of the revolution in 1821 to start their struggle. Um, obviously, we know that this is also the uh, feast day of the Annunciation. And it had a double meaning that year. It was what we call a Kyriopaska. Kyriopaska is when the feast day of the Annunciation coincides with Holy Pascha. Um, this is rarely celebrated. I think that there was one on the new calendar not that long ago, but uh, it's now an impossibility with the uh, modified uh, Julian, revised Julian calendar that uh, the Greek Orthodox Church uh, currently follows. But something special always happens on Kyriopaska. One that uh, Vladika would remember within his lifetime was the uh, falling of the Berlin Wall. That was a Kyriopaska on the old calendar. Um, something great always happens on, uh, on the Kyriopaska. So there's also a possibility of this happening on uh, Good Friday. And Good Friday is usually an a-liturgical day. Um, it's the only day of the year that the Eucharist is abs can absolutely not be celebrated. Um, this goes back to the canonical uh, tradition of the church. Um, so when this happens on Good Friday, we break that liturgical fast and we celebrate the uh, Annunciation and um, Good Friday as well. So there are some little nuances uh, given, to our, uh, given to our calendars. And we share more than uh, than we would uh, we would think about. Mm -hmm. Father Andres, yeah, thanks for the clarification on on October one to uh, October twenty eighth. Is it? Uh, yes, October twentieth. Yeah, but maybe that'd be interesting for for the the modified calendar or the um, what we call the old calendar, new calendar, Gregorian and, and Julian calendars. Because I, I really admire is this. Um, uh, the revised calendar, if, if that's what I heard you refer to it. Yes. In our tradition, we we have movable. Well, sorry, in our traditions, we have movable and fixed feasts. So Easter is a movable feast because it uh, it moves each year. You know, we won't get into the lunar cycle and equin spring equinox and all this kind of how it's calculated. But it moves. It's not not the same day every year, as opposed to like a fixed feast would be December twenty fifth. Uh, on the uh, Gregorian calendar for Christmas, for the Feast of Our Lord's birth, is, is Nativity. But um, um, uh, if I understand well, is this uh, 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 the Ukrainian the Catholic Church here in Canada would, would stick to one calendar, as we would say, old calendar or new calendar, and you, all of those flow there then too. But um, um, one of our challenges uh, is that right after Christmas, right after the Feast of Our Lord's birth, and then Theophany, his baptism, uh, already, if Easter is quite early, because you're mixing a fixed calendar and a movable calendar, you could still be in the, so shall we say, the Christmas cycle, and then you've got the pre-Lenten Sundays, before Great Lent, these, these, uh, these uh, three Sundays, they bump up, or they push into they push into where you still want a carol and you want you're celebrating our Lord's birth up until uh, this presentation February February second. So what I understand and uh, and uh, I, I will stop and let you speak. But uh, what I what I like is 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 that I think that 
you're, you celebrate or you mark uh, what we say Christmas or nativity on the uh, Gregorian calendar or the new calendar, but then Easter according to the second. It works in North America because is this, the longer you can push Easter away, it has its own distinct liturgical uh, flavor and celebration. You can really get into a fast, you can prepare well, but here in North America, the weather is much more amenable to, to a later feast day. I try to wrap my mind of my bishop friend in, in Australia that he's there, the Santa Claus, St. Nicholas is wearing shorts, uh, red, red tunic and going out onto the beach on that. So it won't work for them, but, but um, how do you celebrate? So for us, um, and this is um, where our, our friends in Rome have a little bit of influence in the, uh, in the uh, Greek or Byzantine Catholic churches. So for us, we're very big on the Apollo sister, the leave taking of a feast. So from December 25th until December 31st, okay, we know Christmas is done then. And then we have the feast day of the circumcision. Um, and then we get into Holy Theophany, which I believe the, the uh, leave taking is on the 13th of uh, January, if my memory serves me right. So we have a little bit of a dead period there. Um, whereas in Rome, it's very uh, emphasized that, okay, the Christmas cycle is from the 25th of December until the 2nd of February, uh, Candlemas. With us, we have a little bit of a break in between when we break out the uh, whatever neutral liturgical color we have, whether it be white or gold, and we have a little bit of a slowdown. And then when the second hits, we do... Um, we do have an emphasis on the uh, on the feast of the presentation, but we're we don't tie it as much into the uh, into the Christmas cycle, which might be to our detriment as well, uh, because it's very important, uh, and it's the whole reason that we have this uh, beautiful churching of babies and um, this uh, beautiful uh, keeping with the Mosaic law that our Lord had tied in with the um, with the prophecy of uh, Saint Simeon. So, like as I said, perhaps it's to the uh, the detriment of the uh, of the Byzantine Greeks that we don't tie those things in a little bit more. But um, after the apotheosis or leave taking of uh, the presentation, that's when we get into the uh, triodion, and we get into it very hard some years. The leave-taking of the presentation, I'm not sure about this in the UGCC, but certainly in the, uh, in the Constantinopolitan Church, it has a movable leave-taking. And that all depends on when the Sunday of the uh, publican and the Pharisee is going to start. There's a possibility of it having a leave-taking um, on the 9th. I think that, yes, the 9th is the traditional leave-taking of it, but this can be pushed back um, until actually the next day of the feast, depending on how early Holy Pascha is. So our, um, our celebration can be uh, mitigated a little bit and we end up putting away the liturgical blue um, sometimes on the next day and we end up breaking out those golds or whites for uh, our neutral triodion period. And then four weeks later, we have uh, the Lenten uh, purple or dark red, depending where you're from. 
something kind of interesting to um, maybe Bishop can answer this one was uh, in some parts, I know when I was in Ukraine, um, you see everywhere Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, right? There's a pretty big distinction. However, in Canada, usually you will only see Ukrainian Catholic Church. So is there like what what's with the addition kind of of adding Greek verse in Ukraine or in North America? Is there a difference? Yeah, what's in a name? Uh, it's, it's huge. It, it really it's a defining defining moment. So, for example, uh, the our church in Canada when we started uh, our faithful started arriving in the in the late eighteen hundreds already into North America, South America, and elsewhere, we were known as Ruthenians, and there still is a, a Ruthenian church, a although they use Byzantine church in the United States primarily. But um, it's not until 1956 that we officially start using Ukrainian Catholic Church in, in Canada. Um, the, the Greek, what's the difference between Ukrainian Catholic and Ukrainian Greek Catholic? More recently, although that's, sorry, that's 25 years already, because as I get older, it all <laughs> starts to become relative. Um, uh, when the, the church in, in Ukraine uh, and in the former Soviet Union is... Um, uh, find their freedom and emerge from, from the catacombs. Um, two ways to look at this. Why did they start using Greek? Well, one was very practical uh, in that uh, the churches had to register themselves civilly with the, the local government. The Roman Catholic Church registered first. They called themselves the Ukrainian Catholic Church. So, what, what are the, what was in Canada, we know is the Ukrainian, what do we do? So we're the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. So something very, very practical. But, uh, but I think in, in, in Ukraine, there, there's a second element, a dimension, a spiritual dimension, is to uh, re rediscover, um, redeclare, re-acknowledge our, our roots with our, with our mother church. And that has... Uh, um, a recognition of our our heritage, our patrimony is this where 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 does our church really begin? Um, it, and it you know it, it's it's not just semantics, but is this our church is um, is an apostolic church and uh, rooted in in Christ and and the faith of the early church and and of the apostles are then too. So, but we recognize our mother church, and so it, you know if I may add, is this there there's a bit of an of an ecumenical, a desire for us to celebrate that which is more in common with us, uh, as opposed to the old way uh, of what divide, you know, what holds us apart from each other's. Uh, what 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 adds to a greater uh, unity in Christ? And so uh, that's what I would say. Where does the Greek come from? So there's still a tendency in Canada to be known as Ukrainian Catholic Church. Um, some scholars will, uh, will uh, have, uh, have um, uh, agreed amongst themselves when they're writing a scholarly work, even in Canada, they'll use Ukrainian Greek. Oh, sorry, not so much Ukrainian Greek. I think what they're saying is Ukrainian Greco uh, Catholic Church, which is probably <laughs> the more um, proper, um, mm, you know, uh, English rendering of that there than two. So Ukrainian Greco or Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. That's pretty interesting. So kind of on that topic too, in terms of like, 
uh, how for both faith communities, just maybe a, a simple thought on how has both the Greek Orthodox and Ukrainian Catholic, how do you kind of adapt to ministering in North America? Is there kind of any difference compared to from Greece or Ukraine historically and kind of present today? I would say significantly. Um, ministry in uh, what is now known as Greece was very simple because you had a captive audience. Um, Protestantism didn't exist in Greece until well after the revolution. Um, there were a couple of uh, Jesuit and Franciscan uh, missions uh, in the islands uh, due to the, uh, the Venetian presence in, uh, in Western Greece. Uh, for your Roman Catholic uh, listeners, uh, look up Our Lady of Lepanto. <laughs> so in Greece, we're 95% Orthodox, at least on paper. Here in Canada, we're a little tiny drop in the bucket. I think even less than 1% of the population, if I'm not mistaken. So our ministry over here, it's at a crossroads. We have a desire to preserve that which we knew, but we know that we must adapt, that we must uh, take on the, uh, the challenge of ministering to people that are born here, people that um, might be second or third generation Greek, people that might not be Greek at all. This has um, presented a huge challenge for some of our clergy. Um, there is a very sad tendency, and I think this has happened in both of our churches, where we've lost generations of people um, trying to preserve the past instead of moving forward, obviously organically. Uh, we don't want any uh, huge revolutions and... I won't say much more than that, just in case some of our RC friends are listening. Uh, <laughs> but we, we don't look for um, inorganic liturgical revolution. We don't look for inorganic growth. Uh, the truth of the matter is we need to grow in Christ. What does this look like for us? Well, back in the 19, well, for some of us, the 1990s, adding English into the services. This doesn't seem like a revolutionary idea, nor should it, but unfortunately it was for some of us. And especially when you get into the churches in uh, Montreal and Toronto, uh, this was a huge revolutionary idea. Some people decided to boycott the church because of this, very unfortunately. The sad thing that we realized was that, hey, it's too late to do this right now. And we've already lost one generation of uh, Greek Orthodox Christians, and we're losing another one. Uh, down here at Edmonton, we've been blessed that the church has organically uh, grown. And I've, I've had some uh, predecessors that were entirely non-Greek. I've had some predecessors that were not Greek-speaking. And this has paved the, uh, the road for a young chap like myself to be able to come in, grab on to uh, younger generation and um, move the church forward 
according to their pastoral needs, while not neglecting the pastoral needs of the uh, Greek immigrants that came over here in the 1960s. So this has been a, um, a delicate yet uh, well-welcomed balance uh, here in Edmonton. That's pretty interesting. So what about from the Ukrainian side? Um, or is there much difference from how Larry is celebrating Ukraine? Because I know even for us, we, we had the same kind of language debate um, in terms of should services only be in English? Should they only be in Ukrainian? I know for us, we, of course, we have both, but. I think the underlying principle for all of us is, is to serve the pastoral needs of the faithful, to, to meet them where they're at. Understandably, as is Bishop Nikita, Bishop Marjorie Nikita Budka, when he came and was helping to establish the church in the late uh, 1800s, well, he came, sorry, 1912, but uh, uh, in, in, in that kind of thinking, is, is they, they brought what they knew. And mm -hmm. so, so we served the faithful according to what we knew in Ukraine. But then, you know, you fast forward 125 years and, and we've become very... Uh, uh, Canadianized. We, we have much in common with our faithful in, in, um, in Ukraine and uh, in Australia and the United States and Brazil, Argentina, France, Germany, uh, Italy, where, Poland, wherever it may, wherever it may be. But, uh, but there's, there's definitely a, a, a Canadian flavor to our church. And Father Andreas, we went through the same uh, challenges uh, with English, introducing English in, in the 1960s already, and St. Peter and Paul parishes is in, uh, in Lethbridge. And, uh, and that was, yeah, <laughs> this, there, there were, were sometimes um, struggles and maybe one or two unkind words, uh, this, uh, or look of the eye, but, um, we, and we, the same thing with, with uh, the calendar, um, moving from, from the, uh, what we used to call the old calendar, or the Orthodox calendar, to the to the to the new calendar from from uh, the Julian to the Gregorian calendar. That those those were challenges, but I think those are those are challenges that are well behind us because we we serve the needs of the faithful. We're 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 um, uh, still journeying, if I can put it that way, is um, uh, to recognize um, the role of the laity in the in the in the church, and th that's huge, and and to in encourage them um, to be active disciples uh, rather than, you know, we come to the church, sometimes we could, like at a football game, we can cross our arms and our legs and say, entertain me. But, but rather is this the great commissioning, uh, Jesus is to go and baptize, go and teach, but he didn't just mean it for the 12 or the 11 and then, then, then the 12, but he, he says that to us today. So all of us uh, to to evangelize and uh, uh, you know the role of women in in canada is very different than it is uh, maybe in other place, parts of the world so that's challenging how do we pa pass on the faith like to the domestic church recognize that that mom and dad and baba and you know, uh, uh, grandparents this are uh, have a responsibility to pass on the faith so a parish might be considered as successful uh, only to the degree that they pass on the faith from one generation to the next, to, to reach out to our young people. And at last, I would say the challenge would be is, is to recognize that, that um, church is not only 
uh, the parish so that um, we don't remain within our parishes and expect people to come to us as pastors and, and as lay leaders, but that we go to where the church is, where, which is the people of God. So, so like going out to the schools, uh, going out to um, those in need, uh, the soup kitchens, the homes, uh, the social network, then uh, you know, going out to a hockey game. Uh, theology on tap, you know, all these kind of creative ways of, of being present, bringing ministry, bringing Christ or fostering, recognizing Christ in the midst of all of those places. And not church is just not happening at the parish. I mean, look, I'd love everybody to come to church every Sunday, every day. <laughs> the reality, so these are the, the newer challenges of mm-hmm. passing on the faith to the next generation. And recognize that all of us have a responsibility to do that, not just the guys with the collars up at the front. So that's that's kind of an interesting point too, in terms of um, you know changing ministry to what we're currently facing. So on that topic, maybe Father Andreas can talk about this kind of about Saint George's Greek Orthodox. How are you kind of ministering to the faithful during the global pandemic? Because of course, a lot of things are changing. So. And so is the church. So, well, this has presented a huge difficulty to the church, and I think it tapped it right on the Achilles' heel. Um, we had some weaknesses in our ministry that were not apparent to us before this pandemic, and we realized how fragile some of our pastoral plans really were. So, one of the uh, huge things that I've noticed ever since the beginning of the pandemic is that our young people um, have a huge advantage right now. And I had, uh, together with the uh, blessing of his uh, eminence, uh, Archbishop Soterios, we had established uh, our youth program uh, called uh, Met Youth. Um, the uh, Met, and it doesn't stand for Metropolitan, it stands for uh, Metamorphosis, which is uh, the uh, Greek name for the Transfiguration. And as Christians, we're all called to be transfigured. And with, with Met Youth, I found very willing, very able uh, young people that were able to get the church through a very, very difficult time. Um, through volunteering their time, whether they were sitting at the back selling candles, uh, whether they were sanitizing the church as a whole, um, we had a uh, we've we had a uh, program as well over the summer, where the youth were volunteering to uh, pick up groceries, to mow lawns, whatever it was for uh, people within our community. The reason behind it seemed a little bit superficial okay, we get this virus, we're going to cough for a couple of days, stay at home, and we're good. Yeah, yeah, or papu, you know, grandfather or grandmother get this virus. It could very sadly do them in. So our focus on ministry, um, to quote our uh, evangelical brothers and sisters, became equipping lay ministry. This was huge. Um, for the first time in our church, we had a, a chanter that was not from our tradition. She was the only one that was willing to come in, uh, together with uh, another uh, elderly, well, not that elderly Greek man, um, to come in and chant. 
and to serve in the altar and do all of these things for us. Um, so it was huge to see the role of the, uh, the youth in this. Um, we went from our in-person meetings to Zoom meetings that showed a couple of um, soft spots in our knowledge of technology, you know, myself included. So ministry has changed. And although it has become a little bit more impersonal, there's no more hugging, there's no more uh, visiting the houses, hospital visits are very restricted as well. It became a little bit more personable. And, you know, I think our people are starting to see the clergy as human for once as well, to say, okay, uh, Oche, whatever his name might be, it's not, uh, it's not Superman. Pater Andrea is not able to come over and commune all of us. This thing can take him as well. So we got to see a human aspect to our clergy. We got to see a human aspect to our church and a greater, more magnified role of the clergy, of the, of the laity, sorry. That's a pretty interesting, um, definitely some changes in the Greek Orthodox uh, here in Edmonton. What about from the Ukrainian Catholic side, now that we kind of heard about the parish side of things, what about the kind of parochial wide? Yeah, so we, we too uh, um, didn't, didn't know, is this if, if I looked at you the wrong way, is this at the beginning of the pandemic, whether you would die from just, 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 <laughs> just, just we didn't know much about it now. Now uh, we, we're still uh, caring and loving one for another in the way is just that, that we bring the gospel in, uh, whether in person or, or um, via social media. Uh, so we've certainly learned a lot of lessons, but we know is that we'll continue to, to do that, to offer the gospel is this to, uh, to those post-pandemic. I think it's a, it's a, it's a great eye-opener for us. But maybe just three quick stories that kind of emphasizes this uh, uh, some some blessings that, that uh, take home lessons for us. Once I, I called a, uh, an elderly couple just to say hello to them. There then doing it, and they one was my neighbor growing up, and she says, "Can't talk to you, Bishop, right now. We're in church. We're in church." They were. It was a weekday. They were following some liturgy, some place there then too. So, so they. They didn't come to church. Uh, both of them are in their 80s, and they still are compromised. But they're finding a way, and we're finding a way to 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 meet, to allow Christ to to be present in their in their lives. The 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 second is this is a, a couple of friends of mine, a husband and wife, and they're they're teenage kids. Maybe the kids are early 20s now. Is this the boys really didn't come uh, to church? But um, earlier on in the, in the pandemic, we we're all watching this from the comfort of our living room. Mom and dad had the TV on or the computer. And uh, this, the boys just kind of, you know, sauntered into the living room and, and sat down with them. And they, and they sat and they didn't come to church before, but they sat down and prayed with mom and dad. And then they engaged in, a, you know, in, in, um, in what the, the liturgy was about, uh, the gospel, the, the scripture readings, what the priest had to say there then too. So I thought... Here's a huge potential. Uh, just because they're not in church doesn't mean that they're not of the church. So, but but we have to remind ourselves of that and go out to them now and uh, and post pandemic. And the third was 
uh, a lesson for us is, especially our seniors and our shut-ins, that um, one of one of uh, one of my priests is, is on a regular basis. He, it, it's a you know a smaller size parish, so he can do this. He and and maybe others in the parish, uh, on a regular basis, he's phoning the uh, the seniors and the shut-ins and saying, "We haven't forgotten about you." Uh, you know, uh, what do you need? You want me to come to the house to bring communion, to bring the Eucharist? And um, so he's he's finding ways, but we need to keep to do that, keep doing that then too. So 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 um, we're finding ways to minister, but not only to those that are able and willing to come to church, but also those that are still part of Christ's uh, body uh, in the baptized. That maybe maybe we haven't served all that well in the past but are, are greater opportunities to do so in, in the future. Mm -hmm. That's that's pretty interesting perspective too. Um, so kind of on that, uh, so we have the Greek Orthodox Church and we have the Ukrainian Catholic Church, but at the end of the day, we're all Christians. So maybe what is one way, what is something that we can do to work more together as Christians uh, maybe start off with uh, St. George's Parish over here, Father Andreas. I may have jumped the gun on this already, but uh, <laughs> 40, 40 Days for Life. Um, this would have been, I think, two weeks ago, maybe one week ago. Our perception of time is a little bit off. Um, my good friend and your good friend, Father uh, Michael Wynn, I reached out to him just to see how he and the uh, seminarians were doing. Told me, great said, listen, could you walk a few blocks up? I said, yeah, certainly. What's going on? He said, well, we have 40 days for life. I'll explain when you get there. Awesome. So we went there. Sadly, there was nobody there. But Father Michael um, and Father, uh, sorry, priest monk Theodosi, we stood on that corner and we prayed. Obviously in the bubble zone. And... Um, you know, we said that we, we prayed for life. That's uh, one thing that's a, uh, a uh, shared um, tradition of ours is this uh, sanctity of life. Um, there's been several times that I've been a guest either over, over at the seminary prior to the pandemic or over at St. Joseph's Cathedral. I was treated amazing uh, both times. And um, likewise, too, I, I keep my doors open uh, to whoever wants to come through. Um, we have mixed marriages uh, between our two churches. So one parishioner in particular, um, one year she has me come over, the next year Father Yanko comes over, so on and so forth. This has been their tradition for goodness knows how long. Um, there are events, our good friend Ed Hecker, the Shroud guy, um, right before the, uh, the pandemic, and Ed will tell you this because... The pandemic unfolded before our very eyes. So on what would have been the Sunday of the Holy Cross during Lent, um, Ed was supposed to come over here, set up the shroud in front of the uh, iconostasis, and uh, he was going to give a presentation on Saturday, and then on Sunday we were going to leave the shroud up. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. We were uh, really jostled by those 11 cases back then. And... Um, this was uh, going to be a, a youth retreat for us. So this was going to be another shared uh, experience between the UGCC and the uh, Greek Orthodox Church. 
Outside of that, though, I think that our philanthropical uh, works could be joined together, our efforts uh, to um, follow those commands, which um, we are going to read this upcoming Sunday, which you read just a few Sundays ago, um, to feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, uh, visit those that are imprisoned. I think that these are the very important things that we could be doing together and should be doing together, uh, these philanthropic works. Um, no matter what, at the end of the day, we're bringing Christ to people. That is the same great commission that our churches were given. And I look forward to a time um, that we're not only doing that, but that we join back together in the bosom of unity. I think maybe is this, um, and this predates all, all of us, uh, uh, Ben and Father Andreas and, and myself, that we, we looked at each other's uh, in, a, in, uh, in a very sinful way in that um, uh, in disunity, in disharmony, you know, we, we broke with the body of, of Christ. And, and maybe, unfortunately, is this, there was a time that we looked at each other's as almost competition. Like, and I read the first, the, the early annals or, or chronicles of, of uh, when Bishop Budka is coming and it was a fight for the souls, for the very souls of these people. Well. I, I would read those very differently today. These, these belong to Christ, not to any one confession or denomination, if we still use those terms or not. But um, I think today is this set uh, two things. One is it, there's, it's a healthier road to closer unity when we see each other as, uh, uh, as uh, brothers and sisters. Um, maybe it's like, I, I don't know if we use, it's not an ecclesial term, but to, like the, the Greek Orthodox and Ukrainian Catholic, we're cousins, we're, but maybe, maybe we've been a bit of a distant cousin and we've kind of forgotten each other's and how much really unites us. Even today is this, our conversation has been beautiful to remind us uh, of all of the things that, that uh, we share in, in common. And then the second, this is Canada. Um, uh, we were founded on Christian principles. Mm, I don't know if I recognize that same, that same, same Canadian uh, context today, uh, because this, it's almost um, uh, uh, new missionary territory uh, to bring Christ present to, to, to brother and sister Canadians. And there's enough work for all of us. Uh, we can share, share, find ways to share in that work. So, so that would that would be my, uh, you know, my kind of my parting word and 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 my wish, and my prayer. Yeah, no, that's that was a very interesting conversation. Actually, um, just want to quickly thank Father Andreas from St. George's Greek Orthodox Church here in Edmonton for joining us on the conversation. And Bishop David too for kind of putting into perspective the you know how what unites both of us whether you're Orthodox or Catholic and you know what hopefully one day we all pray that we'll one day be united and we can really work together that's for sure. Thank, Thank you for having us. Thank you.